Welcome to The Build Up by Alibaba Australia New Zealand, a bite-sized podcast series here to demystify the journey of entrepreneurship with in-real-life advice from industry experts who are in the business of the build, in the midst of creating entrepreneurial projects of their very own and finding their way in the world of biz. Learn, laugh and dream big with good humans doing great work and get inspired to build an entrepreneurial journey of your own. This podcast is an initiative of Alibaba, Australia, New Zealand, the global technology company, and is produced by The Peers Project, where progressive podcast dreams are brought to life. Hey, builders, and welcome back to another episode of The Build Up by Alibaba, Australia, New Zealand, a guide to finding your way in the world of biz. In this episode, we explore the importance of owning up to the challenge of building your dreams yourself and the need for a self-belief that you are the ideal candidate for the job based on the Alibaba Group's cultural value, if not now, when, if not me, who, or Today we're joined in this conversation by Miriam Muhammad, co-founder of Money Girl, a social enterprise focused on making financial education more fun and accessible for young Australian women. As the first of its kind in Australia, Money Girl delivers educational programs for the public, private, and non-profit sectors. Money Girl believes that every woman deserves the freedom to make her own decisions and the knowledge to make the best decisions for her own well-being. The Australian Financial Review recognised Miriam in the 100 Women of Influence in 2019 list, and she was also recognised by the Foundation for Young Australians as a young social pioneer. Welcome, Miriam. Hello, hello, everybody. And thank you for having me on the show, Michelle. Of course, Miriam. We're so excited to have you. Miriam, please take the mic and share with us in your own words who you are, what you do and why you do it. Alrighty, so I am a Pakistani-Australian woman, grew up in Pakistan for most of my life, came to Australia seven or eight years ago today, and I essentially empower young women with their finances, and I teach young change makers how to get paid what they are worth. The reason I have ended up here is because I moved to Australia to escape violence myself, gendered violence. And I found that even after physically removing myself from a situation of violence, I was constantly walking a very thin line between a life of safety and going back to violence. And one of the biggest barriers between me and that life was my money. So being in control of the resources in my own life means that I have the power to make the decisions in my life. And as long as someone else is controlling those resources, however good my relationship with them is in my life, at the end of the day, they have the power to override my decisions, or they have the power over me to take away my choices. That is what led me towards my own journey of financial independence. 
And as I was on that journey, I realized that these are basic life skills that we are not taught at schools the world over, okay? I wasn't taught this in Australia. I wasn't taught this in Pakistan. Nobody I know, unless if you come from a privileged family, has been taught this growing up. So I thought if I'm going on this journey, why don't I, along with my co-founder, design something that makes this journey more accessible for other people just like us, young women, uh, women of color, migrant and refugee women in Australia. And the next hurdle I realized after financial literacy, understanding your money was actually demanding to be paid what you are worth in the workplace. So I can teach people uh, the basics of how to manage their money, but particularly for the audience that I cater to, which is women of color, migrant and refugee women, they were being exploited at work because they were already uh, disenfranchised in many ways they were being taken advantage of and they weren't being paid what they were worth and that is what led me down to then teaching them how to demand to be paid what you are worth oh my goodness miriam so so powerful and just honestly that hit me on an, in another level as a woman of color as so many of us have faced a lot of struggles and issues in the workplace you know for you why do you think this didn't already exist, this service you offer, this support to young women that you offer? Why do you think it didn't exist before? Look, the primary reason, particularly when it comes to finances, is the system as it is set up at the moment is broken. And we've learned that time and over again, as it has crashed and malfunctioned, like it recently did with the GameStop debacle, we have realized that the system doesn't necessarily function to benefit all of us. However, changing an entire system doesn't happen overnight and no one person has the power to do it. I definitely don't. However, there are many different uh, roots that feed into this one big problem. One of them is financial illiteracy of the masses right? Who get preyed upon by the system, who get taken advantage of. So I understand that the system is broken. However, what I seek to do is address one root problem that feeds into this bigger systemic problem. And the reason I believe this didn't exist before in Australia is because it doesn't really serve the system very well if people know how to play it to their benefit. And we didn't really understand the importance of educating everyone on how to navigate the financial system in Australia until 2018 when the Royal Commission into the banking sector happened. And the recommendations that came out of that Royal Commission included among lots of systemic changes and also included educating people on uh, financial products and the financial system so that they may make better, more informed decisions about their financial futures. It's so, so fascinating, Miriam. Just thank you so much for sharing this with us. You know, at what point for you did that shift happen 
you know, at what point did you go from kind of very confused to actually quite confident about how to handle your money and how to navigate through this space and the challenges you faced? When did that shift happen? And for those of us who are struggling to make that transition and to make that shift, what's, what are some of the things that we can do to really get a grip and and progress? Yeah, look, I believe that it's a ongoing journey. There was no one moment where I transitioned from being <laughs> completely lost to being an expert on anything, okay? So even when it comes to financial literacy, I am still on this journey, right? And that is something we try to teach our students as well is no one person is an expert on everything to do with money. Even the experts on money are experts in specific areas of money and they are constantly learning and growing as well because the financial system keeps changing every day every year there are hundreds of new financial products that make the financial landscape more and more challenging it offers us more and more choice which is fantastic for consumers but it gets more and more confusing so everyone is constantly learning and evolving with the financial system. So there was no one point where I was like, boom, that's it. I've become the pro at all things money, (laughs) right? So I'm on this journey and I encourage people to keep learning at different life stages because something you learned at 18 may change or may not be relevant to you anymore when you're 30 or let's say when a big life change happens like you partner up or start having a family. So your life circumstances change, your priorities change, and what is applicable to you and what the best decision for you will change based on that. So stay in touch with your money journey through those different life events. It's just Absolutely. Just so well said and so, so true. I think if we look on the business side of things with Money Girl, you know, you mentioned that you started this business because you were just navigating through the path and you thought, hang on a second, there are probably other women like me that need assistance with this. Talk to us about the early days. What were the first few steps that you took to really get this business off the ground? The absolute first thing that I did was talk about it get it out of my head and put it out into the world. So I started talking about it to people. And one of those people ended up being our business advisor. And I was just having a coffee with her. And I just like spilled the idea just just because I was like, I've been thinking, wouldn't it be so great if we had something that would just make financial literacy so much more easier for young people like me? Um, yada, yada, yeah. And this person has been in the banking sector for decades. In fact, they just retired from the banking sector. And they said, you know what? It's something that we've struggled with bringing to fruition in Australia. So I think this is a great idea. And I was like, cool. I didn't even think much of it until a few weeks later, this person follows up with me and says, I talked to like five other people about this and I'm setting up meetings for you. Have you done X, Y, Z? And I'm like, oh, hold on. You, you think this got married? What? So I like, 
you know, when you're, when you're first starting out, there is so much imposter syndrome to deal with. There is so much self-doubt and all of that. So I, I didn't think the idea had legs. Um, but this one person who I really looked up to, buying into the idea gave me the confidence to keep talking about it. And then I started talking to my co-founder about it, um, who is an Australian uh, woman and brings in a whole different skill set and the perspective of having grown up in Australia while still experiencing all of the same problems, right? So some of these problems are uniform across cultures, across the world. And I would say that was the first most important thing that helped me get Money Girl going was not doing it alone. How do we seek out the right people around us who are going to believe in us and who are going to help us in those early days? Oh, such a fantastic question, right? Um, because people really are can make or break an idea. People, timing, product, of course, but people really have the a good team can deliver a bad product and still make it work. <laughs> but you can have a good product and a terrible team and you will sink. So I think for Money Girl, what we did uh, in order to have a really strong set of people around us, not just team, but community and supporters and advisors and champions was to be very centered around our values. Money Girl is a social enterprise and we are very community focused. That is central to our business. Community is not a byproduct of what we do. Community is the why of everything that we do. And we have very strong values and the product, the business, everything in the business is centered around those values. So being so value driven kind of helped us attract the right people and filter through those who would not have been perfectly aligned with the vision. So um, the community that we ended up curating in terms of the team that Money Girl now has, the advisors, even, even the customers, right, are all people who are attracted to Money Girl because of who we are and what we stand for. So for us, that was a very good filter of keeping nonsense out, um, whether that was in terms of people or opportunities, you know, being attracted by something shiny. It was whether it is in line with Money Girl's values, Money Girl's vision and what Money Girl stands for. It's just so brilliant that you was you were so clear. How can we get clear on our values? Oh, wow. Okay. That is, that's such a big question. I could do a whole entire workshop just on how to get clear on your values. Okay. If I had to break it down to a couple of steps, I would say first you have to understand what your blue skies vision is, right? So if you, as whether you're a personal brand or a company, like if the problem that you are seeking to address in the world was solved, what would the world look like, right? Um, so understanding your what if future and also falling then falling in love with the problem 
um, and really understanding why it is that you want to solve the problem, right? Why that problem? Why you? And when you're answering those questions, especially why that problem, why you, and also I add a third question to that, why this group of people? Because you're probably solving this problem for a specific group of people. Like I'm solving the problem for young women. It's not that other people don't experience financial illiteracy. They do, but there's a reason behind why I focus on this group of people. So if you can identify um, who you are helping, how you are helping them, why you are helping them and why you are helping them, right? When you're answering those questions, hopefully some themes will uh, be really evident to you. Um, for example, in I have not mentioned it, but in what I am telling you, I hope it is fairly evident that for me, it is women's rights. It is violence against women. It is gender equality. Those are the themes that are uh, that will pop out to you as you start answering those questions. And those are things that you should take seriously because on a bad day of work, when absolutely nothing is working out, those are the things that will drive you forward. And those are your values. So well said, Miriam. Oh my goodness. I'm nodding my head furiously. So look, I'd love to move on and have a bit of a discussion about today's Alibaba cultural value, which is actually quite aligned to what we were just saying. It's if not now, when, if not me, who, or Miriam, what does this value mean to you? And in the past, how have you owned up to the challenge of building your dreams yourself? Okay. So the context for this value for me is that I grew up in Pakistan. All right. Pakistan does not have a state in the same way that Australia does. It is a very community grassroots driven culture and it is a very collectivist culture. So almost everything in the community is done by individuals banding together, pooling their resources and seeing a problem and then addressing it. Everything, I mean everything from like hospitals to emergency disaster relief is run by grassroots community members. And that is the kind of values that I learned growing up. I was a part of these community initiatives, right? So for me, if not now, when, if not me, who was kind of instilled as part of the Pakistani culture. So when I came to Australia, I it was very much part of my DNA. So this problem, for example, the financial illiteracy one, for me was very much addressed in that manner. Like I am experiencing this problem right now. I understand that it has it has existed for decades and it will continue to exist. But what can I do in this moment to address this problem for me and hopefully a few other people, right? So I um, understand that I might not fix the entire system or the problem, but I may be able to impact a few hundred thousands, or I mean, my goal is in the millions. So, you know, (laughs) fingers crossed. 
But that's how in like my life in Australia, I've used my public advocacy to address problems that I see and understand have existed forever, um, but would like to use my privilege to address them. It's so incredible, Miriam, and the analogies you're giving are just so relatable and, you know, it really helps us to understand kind of how you grew up and and then how you, you view this cultural value. So, you know, has there ever been a time where you've struggled with it, where you've struggled to look at perhaps yourself as the right person to join the club or to help out? You know, have you ever struggle with this idea of self-belief? And if so, how have you navigated through it in particularly when it came to your business and building that? Yeah, of course I have. Look, I think every person who's ever started any project in their life has struggled with the question, am I the best person to do this? And then answered with, I'm not, I'm not capable of doing this. Right. So that's, that's very, that's a very real and also very normal thing that happens. So I think it's good to kind of do the reality check of that. This is perfectly normal and I'm perfectly normal for thinking and feeling that and not being too dissuaded by that voice in your head. So there's two things that I like to remember when I question, am I the right person to do this? One is, am I, is it my place to speak? And when I say that, I mean, is this a problem that I have experienced that I am in some way an expert on? And lived experience is a form of expertise. So I don't mean when I say expert, uh, the reason I say quote unquote expert is not expert in the Western traditional sense of have you done a degree or a master's or PhD in this? I mean, have you possibly done that? Have you possibly lived through these experiences? Do you have something um, that you bring to the table that is innately you? Yeah. If the answer is yes, then there you go. You do have something to bring to the table. You deserve a seat at this table and it is okay to occupy that space. Questioning that in my head is perfectly normal. Every normal human being does it. That doesn't mean I'm not capable of occupying that space. The other question that I um, ask myself, and that's the flip side of this, is Sometimes the answer is no, I do not have lived experience of this problem. And no, I am not a Western traditional expert on this problem either. Um, And I possibly am not the right person to speak on this problem. Right. And there are things in the world not uh, that you are not best placed to speak for. Right. And when the answer to that question is no. I step away from occupying that space because it is not my place to speak. It is likely someone else's turn to speak. And that's when you pass the mic on. So it goes both ways, like understanding that you have uh, a right to speak up and address the problems that you are experiencing, right? No matter how big they might seem and no matter how naive people will think you are, 
you are, you know, born with infinite potential and you make what you want out of it. So yes, you are the best person to address the problems you're experiencing, but also understand that when you're not the best person to address the, those problems, you need to step away and pass the mic on to someone who is better placed than you are. When was a time when you had to step away and, and actually kind of let someone else take the mic? That's a great question. So sometimes people will ask me to speak on... Uh, issues that I'm not necessarily a part of. So people will, for example, I like to advocate for women of color. I will often be asked to speak on behalf of women of color. I will do so for South Asian women. You know, I will clearly draw the distinction that I cannot speak on behalf of black women or indigenous women. I have no idea what the indigenous experience uh, in this country is. And in order for a, um, a company to understand that better, I'm not the person that they need to engage with. Right. They need to listen to the communities that they are seeking to address. So that's a, a, a very a, very apt example within my own little niche, you know, like even when it comes to my advocacy for women, there are certain areas where it's not my turn to speak. It's someone else's turn to speak. Well, I'm glad it's your turn to speak today because I've absolutely, I'm lapping all of this up and it's been absolutely awesome, Miriam. We really appreciate you for sharing. A final question I've got for you is what is next for you and Money Girl? Oh, how exciting. <laughs> okay, look, the Blue Sky's goal for Money Girl is to have a model of financial education for young people that can actually be replicated across the globe because it is a problem that people across the globe experience. So what's next for Money Girl is we are you know, growing in Australia. And now we want to grow in other parts of the world and, you know, uh, especially our neighboring country. Um, and then for me, it, it is important to me that I take this at some point to Pakistan uh, and have a financial education uh, model for young Pakistanis. It's absolutely incredible, Miriam. We can't wait to follow along the journey. Where can we learn more about you and Money Girl? Fantastic question. You will find me as Money Mariam. That's Money, M-A-R-I-A-M, across any platform of your choice. And you can find Money Girl as Money Girl AU on Instagram. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. It's been absolutely awesome. Next, on the subject of agility, determination and company strength, let's take a little dip into the Alibaba Group at a time of a global health crisis and how the company has weathered the storm of COVID-19 and all of the uncertainty it brought with it. 
company Milestone from the last 12 months of the pandemic has been supporting local university partners through Alibaba Cloud's Cloud Enterprise Network solution to help deliver online learning for international students. Over the last year, Alibaba Cloud has worked alongside 20 universities across Australia and New Zealand, including the University of Sydney, University of South Australia, University of Adelaide, and the University of Melbourne to help international students get back online and continue their studies remotely. Thanks for listening to The Build Up by Alibaba Australia New Zealand, a guide to finding a way in the world of biz. Before you go and start building, hit subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast helpful. That way, more people like you are able to find us and listen too. To keep up with all of the exciting events happening in the world of global biz, follow Alibaba on Instagram and Facebook at alibaba.anz and subscribe to the Alibaba Made Easy email list at the link in this episode's description. Thanks again for listening and remember to never stop building your dreams.